is the gospel in six verses. And what we're going to do tonight is sort of unpack it with three sort of umbrella words to help us see those movements. And the first word is satisfaction. For folks over the age of 45, we recognize one of the most famous rock and roll songs of all time. It's a song by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no, and you can finish the the song title, right? I can't get no what? Satisfaction. And the song, uh, you know, it's the Rolling Stones, and nobody ever claimed or, or accused the Stones of being very profound. But one of the things that's sort of significant about that song is it was taking pot shots at the culture we live in and how our, the culture that we live in, Western culture, kind of creates a sense or breeds a sense of dissatisfaction. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that we can't live in our culture with a tremendous sense of dissatisfaction. But the Bible speaks of a life of satisfaction. The satisfaction that the Bible speaks of is greater than the definition of satisfaction in modern life. Satisfaction in modern life is not found in the things that can be taken away from you or the things that ultimately fall apart with age or that can be stolen away from you. Satisfaction is not a life that is free of pain or of disappointment or frustration. You know, out of the 150 psalms that we find in our Bible, the majority of them are psalms of lament. They are psalms that recognize the greatness of God and the impact of the greatness of God's presence in our life, even though they are lamenting some tragedy, some tragic event that has taken place in life. All of the circumstances of the psalms are not cheery and bright. Satisfaction is not feeling good about everything in your life. Think about the guy who wrote Psalm 23, David. And think about all of the stuff that he experienced. He was unfairly persecuted in the early years of his life. He lived his life as a fugitive for for a long, long time. First marriage sort of failed. It was not that great. Lost children to death. All through, throughout his entire life, he lost children. Involved in a huge scandal during the middle-aged years of his life. Experienced profound betrayal at the end of his life. During the, the entire time that we read of his life in First and Second Samuel, it seems that his kingdom is perpetually at war. And this is one of the reasons why in Second Samuel chapter 7, God says, even though it was in your heart, and it was a great thing in your heart to have this building of the temple, the construction of the building, you're not going to be the one that's going to build it. Another one is, another, your son is going to build it because you have blood on your hands. All of these terrible things. And so here's the thing, even if David wrote this psalm early, early, early in his life before he experienced a lot of these heartaches, the words of this psalm still resonated with him. He didn't tear it out of his notebook at, at, at some you know, point, 52, 53 years of age. He didn't tear it out of his notebook and say, you know, all of that I shall not want stuff, that's a bunch of rubbish. And then wad it up and throw it into the wastebasket. No, we have these words because they still resonated in his soul at the end of his life. And yet, while satisfaction is more than feeling good about everything in life, satisfaction is not settling for things in life that are less than what they ought to be. Satisfaction is not settling for things in life that are less than what they ought to be. It is this holy discontent that can act as a trigger to greater spiritual maturity. 
If satisfaction comes not from things going the way that you want all the time and achieving all the things that you want ahead of schedule, then what in the world is satisfaction? Satisfaction stems from relationship. Satisfaction comes from knowing the shepherd. David's restlessness. And I say his restlessness because there's a sense of restlessness that all human beings experience. David's restlessness is put to rest ultimately because of the presence of the shepherd. David's restlessness is is ultimately put to rest and, and, and assuaged because of the presence of God. And this is the key. Satisfaction comes when we follow God who is our shepherd. Satisfaction comes when we stop following all the other shepherds who are inferior. None of the inferior shepherds can make you lie down. None of the inferior shepherds can give you rest. Which brings us to the next section of the test where we move from satisfaction to rescue. Now one of the things I mentioned last week is we were uh, talking about you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. One of the things I mentioned last week, it, one of the exercises we run through, or I run couples through when we do the premarital counseling, deals with, with um, how do you deal with change, because change is inevitable in life, and it's the one thing that doesn't change, change. And change can bring anxiety. So how do you deal with the anxiety? And one of the things that we talk about in the course of talking about this is we talk about how we have to deal with the anxiety because it can be very debilitating, and at the same time, human beings were not built for anxiety. We were not built for anxiety because we originally existed in a place that was void of dread. Imagine, imagine on the early pages of the Bible that creation scene. Imagine a world in which no one shuddered. Imagine a world with, without anything creepy or anything sinister or threatening coming down the path toward you. Real or imagined? Imagine, imagine a garden with full relationship with the shepherd. There was no anxiety. There was no death, no dread. But then in chapter 3, the sin comes, and along with it comes that restlessness that sort of is, uh, you know, that, that sense of what Eric Becker called that, that sense of, uh, of the river of panic that runs underneath everything, that restlessness, the unease, the uncertainty, apprehension, foreboding. Worst of all, you know, separation from that shepherd. Our security in the world, in the garden with God, with that full relationship, the fullness of relationship, was stricken when we looked for it in places other than the shepherd. And before the fall, there was no such thing as worst case scenarios. Nobody was, was you know, nobody was dreaming up worst case scenarios. There was not worst case scenario thinking. But now we live in a world where deep, dark valleys are a fact of life. And notice that that when David gets to this middle part of the psalm, he accepts this. David never says, I can't believe I'm going through the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. He never says, I can't believe this is happening to me. Nor does he say, I just knew that this was going to happen to me. David doesn't have this worst-case scenario kind of thinking. What David says is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I fear no evil, for you are with me. And there are sweetness in those words. I remember the first time that this was brought to my attention. It was about 30-some-odd years ago. Still a student, Ellen and I uh, were at uh, ACU together, uh, probably married at the time. And uh, we were listening to uh, this young preacher by the name of Rick Atchley, who was preaching for the Southern Hills Church of Christ before he, he moved from Abilene to, to Fort Worth. And he was preaching on this over 30 years, 35 years ago, something like that. And we were listening to him, and he pointed out the subtle change of pronouns. That all of a sudden, it's not all these indicative facts that he is a shepherd, he makes me lie down, he leads me to. But it changes to the personal you. He becomes you. You lead me through the valley of shadow of death. David experiences God most intimately when God is the one who leads him through the valley of the shadows of death. And that shadow of death is what catches our attention and makes us aware, perhaps like no other moment in life, what it means to be human. We are burdened with mortality because death has access to us. In death, our vulnerability to death, or excuse me, in the valley, our vulnerability to death is unguarded and unprotected. In the valley of the shadow of death, we are sitting ducks. And it's God who leads David from one side of the valley through the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, through its deepest points, through the other side, beyond the shadow. Which leads to the third and final word, which is the word revolution. One of the really good commentators on the Psalms is a fellow by the name of Peter Craigie, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago in a, in a car accident. Uh, I, I think he translates verse 6 the way that David intended He says, surely goodness and loving kindness shall pursue me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell again in the house of the Lord for days without end. That word follow in in Hebrew, the word radaf, means something a little bit more aggressive than than follow, like a dog following behind you, but always kind of keeping its distance. The word radaf can mean in both a positive and negative sense to pursue somebody. And both of these are found in the Bible. David, you know, pursuit and and being pursued was a word that David was super acquainted with. Saul pursued David and tried to kill him. Of that, there was no doubt in David's mind. David David, uh, escaped death as Saul was trying to, to, to bring upon him. And had to flee into the wilderness to get away and to find safety. So pursued David. And then later in David's life, when David is older and weakened and, and, and an older king and an ancient, aged king, it's Absalom who comes and attacks David and pursues David out into the wilderness. So how did, did David continue to be the man after God's own heart through unjustly, unfairly persecuted, Death of children, failed marriage, bad mistakes, kingdom at war, crisis after crisis, some brought on by himself, tragedy, 
So how did David continue to be the man after God's own heart even though he was pursued by enemies who wanted to drag him into the valley of the shadow of death and leave him there? It was because David knew that the bad stuff in life were not the only things that were pursuing him. David knew that God's goodness and his chesed, his loving kindness, were pursuing him aggressively. And when we realize what it means for all the infinite goodness of the Creator of the universe and all of His love that never fails to be in hot pursuit of us, then we begin to experience the joy revolution in our hearts and minds and souls. And we begin to be satisfied once again. It's in this psalm that we see in David's life the three movements, really, of not just history, but our lives. That there was a time when things were really, really good. And then there was a long period where things were not good. Everyone deals with the valley of the shadow of death and everything on this side of it. But because of the cross of Jesus, because He was the one that led us through the valley of the shadow of death, He is the one that blazed the path, He is the one that experienced it for us, the restoration of the good things. And it all hinges on what happens in that valley where God leads the way through the other side, to the other side. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. He became flesh and blood like us. That through death, He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death are subject to slavery all their lives. That's how the good things get restored. It's through faith in what Christ accomplished for us. And through faith that brings that salvation, sins being washed away in baptism, placing all of our trust, all of our faith, our obedience in Him, confessing Him to be the Lord and meaning it, and repenting of, of, of the things in our life that have been nothing but, 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 but shimmering reflections of that shadow of death that we may not be facing it right now, but it lives inside of us. Repenting of all of those things and moving towards the Lord that we confess not only as God, but King of our life. We begin to sense that being freed up from the fear of death and coming out of the power of the one who holds the power of death, which is the devil, and finding ourselves being drawn closer and closer and closer to the Father, who is God, who is also a shepherd. Who in the midst of our enemies prepares a table and anoints our head, and it's our cup overflows. Because we know that each day of our life, we are being pursued by the loving kindness and the goodness of God. And that is where satisfaction sets in. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And if there are ways that our church can minister to you, maybe you've been struggling a little bit with that satisfaction, not feeling 
that you're moving in that direction. Well, we can help you with that. We can sit down, we can talk, we can study, we can pray, we can encourage, we can counsel, we can do all of these things with you to help you begin to develop that relationship with God who is Father, who is also a shepherd, who makes you to lie down in green pastures and lead you beside those still waters. It causes your cup to overflow. Or maybe you've never even opened the door to the possibility of that kind of satisfaction because you've been chasing it down every other kind of road, trying to get rid of all of the obstacles to acclaim and to achievement and to the things that you want to to grab hold of in this life that somehow for you, at least in this time in your life, define satisfaction and define success in, in that way. But you're discovering slowly but surely and coming slowly to the realization that that does not work. That that does not work. Those things can be taken. Those things fall apart. The wheels come off of the wagon of every materialistic thing that we look at. It's not just an idol, it's a killer. But when we begin to experience God through relationship with Him, because He not just saves us, but saves us unto Himself, then we begin to see that satisfaction. If that describes you, then we want you to come forward this morning. (laughs) It's evening. Come forward tonight and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak and I need your 